0: Welcome, you're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com.au. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit... And when I rise you perceive my thoughts from afar you discern my doing my going out and my lying down you are familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue you Lord know it completely you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me such knowledge is too wonderful for me Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.
1: Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you do speak to us still and that we have uh, your word in front of us. And we pray, Lord, as we uh, think about the words in Psalm Psalm 139, that you will remind us the truths about who you are. Uh, the goodness and greatness and your majesty and and Lord that that will really um, touch our hearts it will move our hearts to to desire more of you in our lives and to to remember uh to remember and consider uh who you are uh, and ha- and how sovereign and great you are so we do pray for that now as we get into it. in jesus name amen uh, I want to start with a, a bit of a case scenario uh uh yeah just to just to imagine okay uh if you' If, if you're like me, this is a, a scenario that, I, in my words, and I hopefully it's, it's your experiences as well. Imagine it's Monday morning, uh, 6 a- 6.30 a.m., your alarm is going off, you, know, you hit snooze a few times because it's cold and the bed is warm and you don't want to get out of bed. The weekend was a big one, you're feeling so tired, but you know you have to go to work. So you, after a few times snoozing, you roll out of bed. You know, you brush your teeth the night before, but you wake up and your breath stings, and you know, brush your teeth again every morning happens like that right so you get dressed eat some breakfast grab a coffee sneak in you know some time to read the Bible and pray before the day starts about to walk out the door and then all of a sudden nature calls there's a turtle head coming so you go to the toilet and you're thinking oh I just want to I just want to relax on the toilet a bit so you start scrolling your phone and then next thing you know you have missed your bus you're late now you're running to work You get to work late after nine o'clock, a long day ahead of you, inbox full of emails to reply to, long meetings with the box, with your team, with your colleagues. You're sitting in front of the computer, your eyes get tired, your back gets sore from sitting, so you get up and you have to stretch throughout the day. There's a problem in front of you that you just can't figure a solution out to. It's for a client of yours. Your brain hurts from trying to work it out and you realize you need to go talk to your boss about it. You just can't do it on your own. All the while, your phone keeps popping off notifications, calendar reminders, text messages, your friends telling you about their weekend, your, your pastor asking you if you can volunteer this Sunday, your mum asking you if this text message is a legit one or a scam. You try to reply to them all, right? It's Monday, but you try to reply to them all, but you simply just can't. So you leave some of them on read, you've ghosted some of them, you just don't have time to reply. Eventually, it slips your mind. Work is hard. It's slow as well. But then the end of the day comes around. You rush out head to the gym, hopefully you know. Hopefully, you get a quick workout there at the gym because it's, it's good for your mental health. And let's be honest, you ate too much fried chicken on the weekend. Then you go home, right? After the gym you go home and you realize on the way you need food because there's no food in the fridge. So you stop by the supermarket and get some food and you get home, you start preparing dinner. It takes like an hour to prepare food that's gonna be eaten in five minutes. Then you gotta do all these dishes as well. If you have kids, some of us here who do have kids, you know that preparing and eating dinner takes double, triple that amount of time. You might have extra extracurricular activities as well, right? So you might play sport at night, or you might have chess club, or Bible study, or you go out with your friends. But otherwise, you're at home. Got a couple of hours maybe before bedtime, so you you have some options. You can watch Netflix for a couple of hours, you know, you're hooked on that show, read that book that you haven't finished yet, pay the bills, or home maintenance, or research, your health insurance, whatever those adult things that your adults have to do at night. Do some online shopping, perhaps, online games, scroll social media, YouTube, chat to friends, shower, skincare routine, whatever it is you choose. Whatever it is you choose, the next thing you know, it's midnight. And you're like, oh, I wish I went to sleep at 10 o'clock. Oh, I'm going to regret this tomorrow. All those thoughts. All right, that's your Monday. Do, do you guys relate to any of that? Some of it? Yeah, come on. Yep. No, no one does. Well, that's... That's what I imagine a Monday to be like, and that's what I've experienced in the past. Now, let's suppose that's an average day for many of us. As you listen to that, what are all the things that we experience in an average day that shows we're only human? All right, did you pick any up? Like, how about that we get tired, we need to sleep, we need to rest, that we get hungry, we need to eat. Sometimes we feel full, and then we need to take a nap, or we feel full, and we need to go to the toilet, or that we feel stressed from work, we feel guilt from not replying to messages. We have to take care of our bodies. We have to go to the gym. We, we feel like uh, we're doing multiple things that we just can't do multiple things at once. We need to depend on others sometimes at work. You got to talk to your boss or your colleagues because you just can't figure it out on your own. You're the supermarket worker who sells you the groceries, the bus driver who takes you to work. Or how about the part where you feel like you just don't have enough hours in the day? You wish you had more time. You wish you could be and do everything everywhere all at once. That's just an average day, isn't it? But then there are some days too where you have to visit the hospital because a relative is sick or dying. Or your car breaks down in the morning you have to get it repaired and that's a headache. Or there are days where you just have relational conflict with people that are close to your spouse perhaps, your friend, a family member. It's emotionally taxing. It just affects the whole day. Or just those days where you wake up and you feel the dark clouds of anxiety and depression. There are endless demands and expectations to be met. Unrealized dreams, relational disappointments, and we feel the weight of the world on our shoulder at times. And it's exhausting, isn't it? Friends, we're fragile and dependent creatures, aren't we? We have limits. We're only human. Now, some of us might need, yes, better time management. Some of us might need to learn how to budget or do the self-awareness thing, work on improving yourself, being an adult and responsible. That can be hard. But what if the issue deep down for all of us is not having a right and a clear understanding of who God is or who we are before God? See, that's the goal the next six weeks, to discover and know and be reminded of the God that we worship as Christians and how we've been created as finite, limited beings and why that's a good thing. Today I want to, uh, I guess, get a, uh, whet our appetites a bit and, and give us a big overview of this ginormous idea. Really, it's a big idea. and try to do it in 30 minutes. And I have to admit, as I was preparing this, uh, my finite self did not fathom how great a task this would be. Right? I'll try my best. Uh, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you know, my hope is that we'll gain a little more wisdom on how we live in this world as finite humans under a good and infinite God. First thing I want us to do is, we w- I want to look at one thirty-nine, Psalm 139. And I'm going to pull out some points in there to really appreciate who God is first, right? We want to uh, see that this God is limitless, unlike us who are limited. And so I want to use Psalm 139 as as a launch pad, you could say. Uh, You know, we get to, we read this, and if you've read it before, Psalm 139, it's very easy to look at it and and hear the words, me, 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 and and just think of it as a me-centered psalm. I'm fearfully, and wonderfully made, and all those types of verses. But the more you read this passage, the more we'll actually see it's less about me and more about God. Let's read verse 1 to 4 first. I have this on the screen. "'You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise.' You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. What does that tell us? It tells us that God knows everything. He's all-knowing. The word is omniscient. Okay? There's going to be a lot of big words today, so if you can follow along, omniscient is the word for all-knowing. And with us, he knows everything about us. He knows our past, our present, and our future. Let's keep going, though, verse 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. What can we get from this? He's all-present as well. An all-present, the word is omnipresent. Omnipresent, he's everywhere above the universe, but with us in our presence. So transcendent and imminent. He's everywhere but he's also personal. He's involved in the workings of our world and he's present here with us, All right. So I'm going to keep going. So I'm just going to speed through some of this. Verse 13 to 14, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He's a creator as well, isn't he? He isn't created himself, but he creates us and the world out of nothing. Genesis chapter 1 talks about he created it to be good as well. And so the psalmist here, the, it's King David who writes this for us, he writes that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. In, in God's goodness and power, he made us. God himself, self-existent, he's uncreated, but he creates. And Genesis tells us he creates out of nothing. His works are wonderful and powerful. The word here is, when we think about God's power, is omnipotent. right? So we have omniscient, omnipresent omnipotent all-powerful and when we uh, think of creation though we can't confuse this idea with god being in nature he creates nature he's not in nature though he isn't in the trees he isn't in the rocks and in the mountains and rivers we don't worship mother nature that idea is called pantheism we're not worshiping the creation we're worshiping the creator right so god is omniscient Omnipresent, omnipotent, right? All powerful. Let's keep going. Verse 17 to 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, God? How vast is the sum of them? Where were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. We have this picture here of God being infinite, unmeasurable, Uh, unlike uh, humanity, unlike us human beings. We're limited. He is limitless. He has no boundaries. We can't confine him or control him or quantify him. Now, to be human is to quantify everything. We're all about measurements, aren't we? Uh, Measurements are everywhere all around us, always being used when we check the time. It's a measurement. When we look at the, 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 the... Fuel gauge, it's a measurement. We live by minutes and hours and days and weeks. Our birthdays are a measurement of how long we've been in this world. We measure weight, height, distance, speed, time, success, our wealth, our followers on social media. It's all measured. But God Himself is immeasurable, He is infinite. And there's an arrogance, a a folly, a foolishness in humanity when we try to measure God and confine Him to fit in a box formed by our limited understanding. He is infinite. The truth is we can't know and understand everything about God. We can know stuff about Him, but not everything. Uh, Psalm 145, it's on the screen as well, it says this, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Again, in 1 Kings 8:27, King Solomon, when building a temple for God, he says this, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. Can you see the picture can you see the picture that is being painted by the bible to to describe our god limitless infinite omniscient omnipresent omnipotent there is none like him and we as humanity as limited creatures were not designed to have those attributes like god let's get a bit deeper though this is i'm gonna gonna get deeper and get a bit nerdy with you guys right these attributes what Christians call, like God, these attributes are called incommunicable. I've got this on the screen, incommunicable attributes of God. A fancy way of saying they aren't transmitted to us, they aren't wide, designed into us, we're not we're not designed to be to be infinite, we're designed as finite and limited. They are his incommunicable attributes. However, there are communicable attributes of God that we can be like, that have been communicated to us, to transmitted to us in our finite, limited ways that we can possess, we can pursue, we can reflect. I'll I'll show you a table that I have here. Now I stole this from this book called None Like Him by Jen Wilkin, a really great book. Many of um, our women here have been reading it actually together in groups. I pillaged her book really to get ideas for this series. Um, This is the table from the book and I added these Bible verses in, just so you can see that it's not made up. The, The Bible talks about God in these ways. Okay. So you can see on the left there the communicable incommunicable God is infinite, incomprehensible, self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, immutable, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, sovereign. For us God is also these things. He's holy, loving, just, good, merciful, gracious, patient, wise, jealous, faithful, righteous, truthful, but they're things we can be too. Can you see that? God is these things on the left that we aren't, but he uh, he's also these things on the right that we can be his communicable attributes and so when you hear christians say to you or when you hear the pastor or someone else your, your leader say to you uh, we need to be more like god more like jesus it's generally let's hope it's generally the right side that they're referring to we need to be more like god in the sense we need to be more holy more loving more gracious more patient all those things It's not saying we should be pursuing some sort of godlikeness in his being. It's we want to be godly in character. Does that make sense? Now, let me be clear. These categories are there for us to understand and comprehend God, but God is all those things at once, right? He's not just one thing at a time. He's sovereign and he's gracious all the time. He's infinite and he's loving and good all the time. He's unchanging and merciful and just all the time. That makes up who he is. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing that he's consistent. It's a good thing that he's dependable. It's so important because when we're facing struggles in life, is suffering, isn't it good to know that he's sovereign and in control and loving? Isn't that good? To know that he's merciful and eternal and all-knowing. When we try to confine and constrict, restrict, contain God, we put him into a box that suits our needs and our understanding. But There is so much about God we won't, even in this lifetime, be able to understand or comprehend. No matter how much we study the Bible and, and spend our lives devoted to it, it's like this endless cavern of treasure. And I hope we'll keep coming back to God and learning more and more about Him. Like what I'm doing for the next six weeks is just like a tiny pinpoint of what we can know about God. But we can. Though, as far as He's revealed Himself in the Bible, learn about what He's revealed to us, these attributes of God, they show us His nature, and ultimately, they show us why He is God. Why He is the only one, the only God worthy of our worship. Because here's the issue for human beings, even more so in a world like we live in today, it's all about hustle and bustle, efficiency and achievement. Instead of a, a appreciating and embracing our limited design, isn't it true that we often attempt to play God in our lives? Ask yourselves. Do you find more often than not that your heart is asking, how can I have more control over my schedule or influence over the people around me, rather than asking, how can I be more loving and patient and compassionate to the people I meet today? Isn't it so much easier to want to be God-like instead of like His character? We aren't satisfied with being limited. We strive to be limitless. We often want to rival God. You see, that's our default, our sinful nature. The Bible talks about our sin. It's to rival God, to put God in the back seat in our lives and to take hold of our lives and be God ourselves. In fact, we see this all the way at the beginning in the Bible, the beginning of our humanity with Adam and Eve in the garden, don't we? They were forbidden to eat from the true or the knowledge of good and evil in chapter 2. What happens in chapter 3? Let me read this to you from verse 1 to 6. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, And also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. You see, what happens here is God wasn't wasn't enough for them. They wanted more. They saw their creaturely limits as faults, not as gifts. The snake in the garden encouraged Adam and Eve that they should know more and ultimately be more that these limits are faults to be overcome rather than a beneficial gift to be honored. See, there's nothing absolutely wrong with their creaturely limits. To be created with an appetite to eat, that's a gift. To be created with a body that needs sleep is a gift. You see, when God created humankind on the sixth day, you know, back in Genesis chapter 1, what do we know? Genesis 1 verse 31 says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was nothing wrong with his creation, his creatures, all the limited even the limited finitude of humanity. But there in the garden, Adam and Eve declared they wanted to be like God. They wanted more. And so we now live in this disordered relationship with our limits that God intended for us, that those limits are now it's all disordered. Are you following with me where I'm going with this? Sin has created that discontentment. Sin has created that dissatisfaction where we feel like our limits are a problem. That need to be overcome rather than welcomed. We want We want God mode because our humanity is too fragile and weak and vulnerable for our liking. Uh, In the words of of Jen Wilkin, instead of reflecting God in his image, we try to rival who he is and be God over our lives to the point where we, we are enslaved, aren't we, and exhausted, even bitter at life, even bitter towards God. We try to be like God in ways that we weren't designed to be. But when we put ourselves up against this infinite sovereign God like we have already, you know, God is limitless, we are limited. We see our limits so much more clearly, don't we? And we all have to face the reality of our finitude. Whether it's through weakness or illness, whether it's through loss or failure, whether it's through seeing others are smarter than us or others are more capable than we are, we must all at some point face our limitations. We can't know it all. We we can't do it all. We can't be it all. Especially when we sit with these incommunicable attributes of God. That's the thing I want us to recognize. God designed us to be limited, and that's okay. In fact, it's a good thing. It's good because we can rest. We can rest, we can give control over to God who is powerful and loving, who has our good in mind. It is good because we have a sense of freedom from the expectations that give us grief and anxiety all the time, the expectations that we're meant to strive and achieve and push our bodies and brains to a point of burnout. It's good because it brings us joy instead of bitterness, from comparison to others around us or bitterness from feeling the disappointments we have of ourselves wishing we could be more rest freedom joy just some of the things we can experience when we let God be God and embrace our finitude as human beings we can surrender we have a heart of submission learning to trust him with those areas of our lives where we feel like we need to play God the truth is we're not qualified are we to be God we can't sustain the creation around us nor control what tomorrow brings. It's good that he's God and we're not. See, what's, what's not good is when we try to be God because when we try to be God, it's actually a form of idolatry. And I need to preach this to my own heart as much as to you. The sin of idolatry is that we'd reject God as a king over our lives and instead give worship to other things. And what we do is we worship our ability to be efficient, don't we? We worship success and achievement. We worship reputation and popularity. We worship the idea of being needed and important to people. When we try to be sovereign over our lives, when we try to be omnipresent and omniscient on our phones, when we try to be infinite and we give up sleep and rest, we're telling ourselves God isn't enough. We need to do more and be more. Let's let God be God. We aren't designed to rival him, but we can and should and are called to reflect him. We go back to that table and we can reflect his communicable attributes, can't we? Be a little bit more merciful, loving, patient, gracious each day. Seek to be wise, just, and holy, and generous. We won't do it all perfectly like God. We are finite. But those are the attributes that God calls us to reflect. Now, to be told that we're limited today, I don't know if you expected to come to church and be told that, but it doesn't sound like the most empowering, empowering and encouraging thing, does it? A lot of the self-help books today is all about challenge your limits, overcome them, be unstoppable. And I can totally understand why. I read this book called um, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Wow, this guy is like, is like Superman. And he's an ex-Navy SEAL, and he, you know, he, he just challenged his body. He said it's all a mind game. You can push your body to limits and overcome them. And I can totally understand why, right? I, I, I know my body, and I, I'm never satisfied with the status quo. But, you know, God not only tells us in the Bible that we're limited, he shows us that it's okay to be limited to. How does he show us that? Well, God himself entered into our world, didn't he? Through the person of Jesus, the Son of God came as a man into our world to show us how we can live in a way to reflect God's image while embracing the limits of humanity, didn't he? John chapter 1. 1 to 4, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was a light of all mankind. All right, so Jesus was there with God. Jesus is God, is their creation, creating, you know, all that omni stuff, he's that. But then verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became flesh, born into this world human. He came out of a woman's womb. He was a a baby that was breastfed. He cried and slept and pooped. He needed someone to take care of him, a little human, right? Walking around, crawling around. He wasn't self-sufficient. He was dependent. As an adult human, there are times in the Bible he tells us The bible tells us he had to leave the crowds to rest he would travel by foot a donkey donkey or boat, whatever he could he couldn't be in multiple places at once he while he is god he he limited himself to his human body he at times felt tired and needed sleep he ate with his disciples because he was hungry you see jesus didn't have to come as a human being into our world but he did And he embraced that so he could die on a cross for our sin, so that he could redeem these mortal bodies in the resurrection and give us glorious new mortal bodies. The point is God isn't ashamed of our physical bodies. He took on flesh. So why are we ashamed of feeling tired or not meeting expectations or not able to achieve more? If Jesus limited himself to 12 friends, why do we feel like we need hundreds all the time? If Jesus was okay to sleep, why do we feel bad to rest? If Jesus could accomplish so much in 30 years of his life, why do we feel like we never have enough time? It's okay to be human. Jesus embraced it. He shows us that we can, as God intended, be human in a way that honors God and is designed for good. And like Jesus, we can pursue a life that reflects God, giving glory to God through a life of love and grace and compassion towards others. Now, I've said all this stuff today, God is infinite, limitless, we're finite, limited. God has incommunicable attributes, we have communicable attributes that we should reflect. And Jesus shows us what that looks like in humanity. Those are the things I've said today. And you might be here and you said, you're thinking, Mark, i have heard all this before. I know I'm not God, it's obvious. I'm human, I'm finite, I'm limited. So what? Well, here's what I want us to take home. Maybe the first thing we do is question, question our hearts. Why is it that you know this about God, yet you still feel stressed and overwhelmed, anxious, lonely, or the crushing burden of expectations around you? Maybe we need to be honest with who or what we might be worshipping other than God. Maybe that's a step we need to take. Maybe we need to be redirecting our worship to God, who is sovereign and infinite and in control, when we feel or don't feel in control. He is God and we are not. Maybe there are some of the steps we need to take. Who is God over your life? Sometimes we live in a way where we might know a lot about God, but you have yet to truly know God relationally, who He is, how truly magnificent and majestic and unfathomable and infinite He is. Maybe we need to stand more in light of that. Maybe we need to stand in awe of God. I came across an article this week, last week, and it's not a Christian article uh, through my research, but an article in the Journal of Psychology, right? Written by some professors in the U.S., universities in America, um, Piff and Keltner. you can look it up. It was titled, Awe, the Small Self, and Pro-Social Behavior. Now, I read the abstract and I read the conclusion, but here's the gist of this article. Here's the gist of this, uh, my my spark notes. Uh, The gist of the article is that when human beings have a sense of awe, we're more likely to think less of ourselves in the bigger picture of life and in turn exhibit pro-social behaviors, right? Like caring or helping others around us, pro-social behaviors. The more uh, we have awe in life, the more we realize how small we are in the vastness of the world. Let me read this quote from the article. Awe arises in evanescent experiences. Looking up at the starry expanse of the night sky, gazing across the blue vastness of the ocean, feeling amazed at the birth and development of a child, watching your favorite sport live, many of the experiences people cherish most are triggers of the emotion awe. Our investigations indicate that awe, although often fleeting and hard to describe, serves uh, a vital social function. By diminishing the emphasis on the individual self, awe may encourage people to forgo strict self-interest to improve the welfare of others now i find that really interesting interesting research but isn't this even more applicable isn't this true even more so for us as christians when we see the greatness and vastness and majesty and power of our god we can stand in front of, say, the Grand Canyon. We can look up at the, you know, at the, the stars in the, in the sky. We can stand, we stand on, a, on a beach in front of the vast, endless ocean. And we feel a sense of awe, don't we? But as Christians, we attribute all that, the, the, the greatness of our creation. We attribute the creation to God, our Creator, don't we? And we see ultimately He's the one that we stand in awe of. We stand in awe of Him. We can look at our lives and we see God carry us through time and time again, through all the hard times and the good times. We see him working miracles in the lives of our friends around us. We open the scriptures and we see see him in the living word and the message of the cross of Christ reminds us that we have a sovereign God who loves us in grace and truth. We stand in awe of our God. Yet too often in the everyday of life, we try to live as if we're limitless like God. And even when we run into our in inevitable limits, we often hang on to the delusion that if we just work harder, if we, often, if we just squeeze tighter, if we become more efficient, we can eventually regain control. Perhaps we're awe-deprived. Perhaps we need to daily have time standing before the awe of God so that in turn we can see ourselves as God sees us, dependent, limited, finite beings. And in turn we can worship God as He rightfully deserves in turn, be led to pro-social behaviours to reflect, though, God's character of loving others around us. As we stand in awe of God, maybe then we'll find the peace our hearts are desperately searching for. Peace in embracing our finitude and no longer aspiring to have infinite capacity. Peace when we begin living as He designed us with dignity, purpose, vulnerabilities and limits where we can relinquish control to Him who is sovereign, gracious and loving. That's my hope. My hope is that over this series, you and I will be able to again and again be in awe of our sovereign, infinite, and limitless God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who is infinite, unchanging, all-present, all-knowing, sovereign, in control. But you're also a God who is loving and kind and merciful and gracious. Lord, you created us and it was good. And in sin, Lord, our, our hearts have disordered the goodness of, of our finite, limited beings. In, in, in sin, Lord, we, we want more. We want to be more like God and rival you rather than reflect you. Father, forgive us for those times. Help us, Lord, to surrender and submit to you. Help us to come before the cross of Christ and see that we can, we can just be human, and that's okay. And we can depend on you as our good and great God. Help us to keep seeing your greatness and majesty in our lives. Help us to keep being able to stand in awe of you, remembering who we are before you, remembering how how good and great you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.